When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. West Ham try and play out the court, edge of the box, Thomas Rasen side of the penalty area, she hit that well, Garcia with the follow-up, makes no mistake, seven yards out, a brace for the Spaniard, four for Manchester United. They're putting on a share in front of almost 28,000 at Old Trafford. Manchester United 4, West Ham United 0. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We are deep in the international break. We've got a bit of discussion about the Reds who have been away. We'll answer more of your questions as promised and we'll also talk about the WSL title race, which is looking extremely tight. Emphasis on extremely. That's what Carl Anker's been spending his international break doing, also being honoured by the football blacklist as well. Congratulations, Carl. Did you enjoy your day out at Old Trafford? I did. I did. I had a fantastic uh, women's football weekend uh, watching the Red Devils uh, imbue what Mark Skinner, the manager, refers to as Red Devil energy. Uh, The United women's manager has a weird way of saying things where you can almost hear the trademark. So, yeah, yeah, we had red devil energy and your brain fills in the trademark and then he does the rest of the press conference. But yeah, it was a fantastic day at Old Trafford. Um, it, a weird one, uh, some parallels to Man United men's team. In the first half, not great. Second half, a couple of tactical tweaks and there you go, 4-0 win. Okay, yeah, we'll definitely get into that a little bit more in a moment, but I need to introduce you to the other two as well. Laurie Whitwell has been spending his international break sat near bushes at the end of races, I think, trying to catch his breath. <laughs> Is that right, Laurie? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't my breath. Like My heart rate, I did check. It was actually decent. It was in threshold for a long, long time, uh, like 180, 190, but it was my no legs. I what you're talking about now. But, yeah. Right, yeah. It's, this, it's the Wilms of half marathon, anyone, for, for anyone that's not seen my Instagram. Um, yeah, so I ran that yesterday and my legs just gave up at 12k and that's what um not <laughs> okay. training gets you basically so i've done a few before and i thought i could just i could just you know bottom <laughs> my mates were doing it i thought Crazy. I'd up late. Um, <laughs> we're still talking about running <laughs> maybe that would have helped um but yeah just gave up and uh, i'm still aching today so yeah I'm, not, I'm just gonna be sat in this chair and not moving for a few hours okay there was more jokes i could do but i think i should move it on uh, Andy Mitten's also with us. <laughs> and I imagine, Andy, that you spend the international breaks, well, I don't know, studying empty stadiums and studying national anthems, maybe? I was with my family. I didn't didn't even see um, the England game in, in Naples. The Italian national anthem's an absolute tune, but did they do a karaoke version of it or something? I just I just think you're the type that might enjoy a national anthem and sort of... I do. Maybe mark them as to how how good they are. That um, Italian one once got me in serious trouble because it's a proper tune in it. If you want to talk about national anthems, along, along with the Brazilian one, the French one, they're probably my, my favourite three. But uh, I don't even know if I should say this. But about fifteen years ago, I got asked to be a DJ in a bar, and I did it, and everything was going well. 
and then two Italian mates of mine walked in the bar. So for a laugh, I put the Italian national anthem on because it's a tune and my mates were buzzing off it. But the bar owner didn't share my enthusiasm for it. I said, what are you doing? You can't play national anthem. You're supposed to be doing music. I said, well, I just have done it. It's a tune. I uh, lost my job as a DJ. That was my only ever night as a DJ. But my mates were buzzing off it, and I maintain that the Italian national anthem is a proper tune. Only Andy Min. Where were you, Andy? I was in a bar in Barcelona. <laughs> it was great. Right. It was absolutely packed. Uh, and and uh, I ran a football team. I had all the players in there. They brought loads of girls with them. The place was bouncing. Two of my mates came in from near Milan, and I thought, for a bit of a laugh, I'll put their national anthem on. And I did. And they were buzzing off it. Is this round about the time where you meet Mrs. Mitten? Yes. It's there exactly about the right time. <laughs> okay. God's basically said, you've had a bit too much fun now. You're settling down. I- I've heard this story, by the way. This is the story that Andy told me when we were sat under Setas de Sevilla after the Betis game that then encouraged me to maybe go out for that extra drink that then cost me the... Uh, early morning alarm and, and the bus ride and the Uber. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks and for telling me again. Italians then, Andy? Just people from the team? Two really posh, good footballers who played in my team, proper good-looking lads, turned up two weeks into the season and for a blag, I said to them, you're not playing for me unless you sing your country's national anthem. But I was only joking. They both stood up in the Dolce & Gabbana boxer shorts and belted it out in the dressing room and then one played right wing, one played left wing. They played good semi-pro standard in Italy. And they just became good mates of mine. And I don't think they'd ever met anyone. I don't know. They, they, we got on really well. I just pushed them and pushed them because I knew they were good footballers. And they'd arrived in a new city. And I, and I took care of them and kept in touch with both of them. One of them became a, a successful actor in, in Milan. And the other one moved to Beverly Hills. What? And married a, an Irish model. So whenever Manchester United play in California, he always makes me very welcome to use the west wing of his massive house, which is great. Blimey. <laughs> well, that took an unexpected <laughs> twist. <laughs> it's always nice to do that. You know, when, when United played there in 2015, they played in Pasadena. It was the game where Louis van Aal was complaining about the, the traffic because it took like two hours to get there and Herrera's debut. And when I got to my mate's house, staying in his west wing, I said, do you want to come to the game? Because I felt like if he's going to put me up for five days, come and watch Manchester United. And he said, uh, I can't. I've got a film premiere to attend to. Right? He's in this world. It's not my world. And he said, uh, Hercules, my mates, one of his mates was part of it. I've never seen the film. I don't know whether it's good or bad. His mate was the producer. And he said, do you want to come? I thought, yeah, I'm not going to turn that down. But obviously I'd gone to watch Manchester United didn't realise how far it was, two and a half hours just to get across the, the traffic sprawl. I didn't make it back in time, so rather than go to that film premiere, I'm like interviewing Sam Johnston in the mix zone. Went back to my mate's house, got up the next morning, he comes in with his beautiful wife and tells me that they've been with Eddie Murphy and Miley Cyrus and Mariah Carey and... Irina Shack. And you were with Sam Johnston. I was with Sam Johnston. Sam's a great lad. No offence, Sam. Sam's a top lad. So I, I, I missed out on that party. Seriously, they went back to the producer's house, my mate's mate, and all of them people were there, and I was transcribing quotes from Manchester United's number three goalkeeper, who's a top lad. What a podcast. What a podcast. <laughs> 
Right, I hope you enjoyed that, because we're going to talk about football now. I'm guessing, I don't know now, actually. I don't know if people actually tune in for football chat or for random stories like that, but we like to think that we blend them both in. Let's talk about Manchester United's women beating West Ham 4-0 in the WSL and a title race that is looking like even we might be able to mention the T-word. Carl, did you enjoy it? What was it like? How did Manchester United perform on the big day at Old Trafford? I did enjoy it, and I think we can use the T-word here. Um, 27,919 at Old Trafford. Not quite a record, but very good atmosphere. It was one of those interesting encounters where you sort of have to bring a bit of extra atmosphere because you know, women's team normally play at Leeds Sports Village, so that's around like 7,000 on average. So you tend to to, to bring a bit, couple more musicians to, to, to bring the noise. So there was a brass band playing throughout. The first half was fine-ish in the way that first halves at Old Trafford on men's team have been fine-ish and you're sort of going, mm, I need more wingers to to hold a bit more width or mm, if only we can get the fullback to get on the ball a little bit more or mm, the number 10 is is you know trying to play those balls over the top but the forwards aren't quite getting it. So Ella Toon as number 10, fantastic. And you've got Alessa Russo who is probably the best forward in the WSL at turning a defender. It's either her or Sam Kerr but, but the gap isn't too big. Uh, and the plan was very much, you know, get into those central areas and try and create. Wasn't quite coming off in the first half. Uh, Nikita Paris on the right-hand side was, was probably coming inside a bit too much and getting things congested. Second half comes on. Uh, they get a penalty pretty early on. Well-deserved. Katie Zellman finishes it. Uh, and then Nikita Paris comes off for Lucia Garcia. Uh, and then United women are off to the races. Uh, Garcia's fantastic. Really holds a lot of width. And uh, just the swapping with her and uh, Martha Thomas, who also came on, really. West Ham spent all the first half going for play for player in in terms of their press and being quite compact. Uh, And then once uh, Garcia came on and it became an issue of attacking the half spaces, Alatoon just started spraying into all those pockets. Uh, And it was great. I mean, the third goal finished off by Hayley Lair. That's one of the best goals you'll see at Old Trafford this season. And I heartily recommend it to all of you. Yeah, I've seen the clip. It was very, very good indeed. In terms of the attendance, you sort of mentioned it fleetingly there. It wasn't quite at the just over 30,000, which uh, the women's team got in December for the match against Aston Villa. But if you look at a year ago, it's a big step up from the crowd that they got for Everton. Andy, you've been quite outspoken on the podcast several times about there should be more fans at Old Trafford to see these matches. How do you think United break through this this threshold now, which seems to be around the the high sort of twenty odd up to the thirty thousand mark. I think the attendances are really good actually. I think it's not easy when the team play in Lee, twelve miles from Manchester, without a railway station. And Carl mentioned seven thousand before. There was a time two years ago after COVID when attendances were struggling. So it's definitely going in the right direction. I just saw some clubs, you know, I sat in a, a crowd of ninety one thousand last year for a women's game and I think there's plenty of room to grow for Manchester United's women's team and this season has been far better than than last season. And if you look at the league table, if Arsenal win their game in hand, they're fourth, as you assume they will. Chelsea draw theirs. The top four teams will have all won 12, drawn two and lost two. And I like looking at league tables and that just baffles me how close it is. I'm a bit nervous because I, I, I United need to finish in the top three. Do you, do you think they're going to do it, Carl? Yes. Yeah? Just about. I think they... City are quite interesting in that on their day, they can beat anyone, as we've just seen on Sunday when they beat Chelsea. But I don't think... I think the things that need to happen for it to be on their day 
mean United should squeak it. This season has been a very good opportunity for United to go out and win the league outright. The fact they are pulling a face might not make it maybe seen as a missed opportunity at the end of the season. But no, I think I think top three is gettable. Uh, and then you have the very interesting scenario where Skinner has to start balancing Champions League midweek games with WSL games at a point where two or three players may be departing in the summer as well. So mm, it's nervy. I keep saying, you know, the women's team is very young. They've only been here since 2018. And most teams in the Super League tend to go through massive amounts of renewal and regrowth every single summer due to, you know, there's always a very good free agent there or thereabouts in the summer. Uh, and this summer, you know, Alessa Russo, she could conceivably leave on a free. And if United let her leave on a free, I'll be putting my head in my hands and going, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. United's right back on a Batia or Batil, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce that. She's from Barcelona. She she might conceivably go to Barcelona. Her time at United has always been sort of viewed as a as a rental because uh, Barcelona couldn't quite afford the the transfer fee to, to get her. So she went to United for a little bit and then she could conceivably go to Barcelona for free. If United managed to keep her, then you can talk about winning the Super League in seasons to come. If some, a talent like Russo or Batil leave this summer, then United will be right back in the scrap for Champions League places. Whereas what you want is to be in those top three places, to get those players secured on contracts and then to to, to get even better players in, in the transfer window. Going to be a very interesting time for Polly Bancroft, who's got to juggle all the figures here. So you, you mentioned on at a Catalan. She, she does want to stay at Manchester United, but Manchester United will have to get to grips with massively increased wage demands from several players, and you've mentioned them. And there are suitors for the top Manchester United players, which is a compliment to how well they've done and that they're now considered one of the best four teams in women's football in England. That Chelsea defeat stung a couple of weeks ago, but then City beat Chelsea at the weekend. So getting to the top three, that would be a big success. And then Champions League. And my daughters want me to take them to see Barcelona in the Champions League this week against Roma. They're expecting 60,000. So maybe that's where I'm coming from with regards to talking about the crowds. But I love it that my kids are looking up to some of the female footballers as heroes. They want female names on the back of the shirts. I mean, all in all, Laurie, it just seems like a really important few months ahead for United, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, as Carl touched on in his piece, this feels accelerated from what United set out to do originally. You know, it's it's five years, I think, now since they restarted the the women's team. Uh, So to actually be in title contention and and admitting, I don't know if you've noticed this, the goal difference plus thirty three is the best goal difference of all those. Of course, you know, you did yeah. the four quartet that you you, you pointed out. So um, so obviously they've got an edge in that regard. Um, but I do I think it's kind of an interesting time for women's football generally because they had such a huge impact, didn't they, with the winning the Euros? You know, Alessia Russo, uh, Ella Toon, Mary Earps, uh, who all play for United, um, and and Batia as well. Her her talent and the contract situation there is really interesting because it's, you're getting into. A sort of new territory almost for a club like Manchester United. How do they handle uh, these kind of contracts when they obviously it's going to be in terms of uh, uh, remuneration, uh, which is going to be increased. Um, the commercial opportunities for these um, players are going up. Um, the World Cup, the Women's World Cup, is is coming up, isn't it? This year, and if England do well there, then that would take it to another level entirely. So you can see why this kind of th- these things are taking a little bit more time. Um, and, and how do they get resolved ultimately is going to be really fascinating. Yeah, and United getting in the Champions League, like we've said on the podcast before, will be a really important part of all of this. Well, if you want to read more 
about the women's win at Old Trafford at the weekend. Carl's piece is up on The Athletic right now. If you're not a subscriber, the offer is still there. £1.99 a month for a year when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, let's get to your questions then, as promised. Um, we had a lot, unsurprisingly, about the whole takeover situation with Manchester United, despite me explicitly saying in the tweet, don't ask questions about the takeover because we will be talking about it. We did cover it all extensively on last week's podcast. So go and have a listen to the last one if you want to know more about the situation then. But I have to say, things have moved on considerably since then. Andy, what's the latest as as you see it? We, we know now that the bids have been made. We were waiting for that to happen. And we also have a new name in the reckoning as well. Yeah, I'm tried about four times to pronounce that name correctly and just um, settled on Big Tom, which is very unprofessional of me. I think if you read The Athletic, they've done a really good job of doing all the updates on where this is going. Uh, I spoke today um, to Thomas... Z- I'm going to try and pronounce his name properly. Zil- Come on, fifth time lucky. I, I said Thomas and he went, no, Thomas. Oh, wow. So, even that bit. Thomas Ziliakus. Yeah, I wasn't even getting Tom right. He's a Finnish uh, business person, philanthropist, lives in Singapore, and he was late to the party. His is the third bid. He said that he spoke to Rain uh, last week. Rain got back to him, invited him to put a bid in. He signed a non disclosure agreement. And we saw some publicity around his bid towards the end of last week. And it was centred around Manchester United fans owning half the equity. And I needed some clarification about that and spoke to him. I had him on the United We Stand podcast. And this idea worried me that he was going to put up half the money and then sort of scramble around for United fans to bring half the money in. And I thought, how long would that take? How does it work in practice, in reality? It had been suggested years ago by the Red Knights, something similar, didn't really come to fruition. And he said, no, actually, we'd be buying the club outright like the other two bids. And I said, have you got the money to do that? And he said he alone hadn't, but he had other um, investors and money wasn't the issue. And I said, will you tell me who those investors are? And he declined to do that. Um, But I said, is this a publicity stunt? He said, not at all. I spoke to a Finnish journalist, I spoke to a couple of contacts in Finland and a couple of people who know finance very well and they all stood him up as being credible and not some sort of uh, joker. So that's where we're at with that one. He's he's in the race to buy Manchester United. I think United fans in the main are like, who is this guy? Where's he come from? Um, uh, Skeptical, suspicious and... I totally understand why that is. And, and I was this morning as well. That's why I did what I'm supposed to do and ask questions to try and 
stand up his credibility. Well, I think that's right. Yeah, we should be suspicious and sceptical of anyone entering the race, especially the way that, that Thomas seems to have entered it as well. In terms of the, the wider picture, Laurie, it was quite a dramatic end to last week, wasn't it? An unexpected end as well. You called it, did you call it a soap opera? One of us did anyway. Andy called it a soap opera. I called it a pantomime because I was. Uh, oh, I decided okay. to do so a riff on. distinction. Yes. Uh, the, the bids are in. Oh, no, they aren't. Um, you know, that, that old famous one. Um, and, and then people have <laughs> it's rightly... behind you. It doesn't really is work. Is it really? Out, it? Well, maybe Thomas Ziliakis is behind us, uh, it turns out. Uh, the uh, yeah, and, and a lot of commenters, fair, fair, fair enough to them, are saying, you know, you are part of this pantomime. Uh, you know, you're reporting this, and, and therefore that is, you know, oh yeah, yeah. So hands up, buttons, aren't you? You're the buttons <laughs> of this pantomime, Laurie. The side narrator, I, I, buttons was the narrator. Wasn't he was. It? Well, I actually went to a pantomime uh, with some niece and nephews over Christmas at Stockport Plaza, and buttons was in that. He was uh, he was very energetic. I'll, I'll say that for him. Um, so yeah, that's well, that's maybe why it was in my mind. Marathons without training. Well, they- <laughs> yeah, the cap fits. Um, and and yeah. So but then you know the bids went in. It was interesting that uh, Ratcliffe put his bid in on Friday afternoon, and then it kind of waited. The Katsukari bid, Sheikh Jassim's bid went in uh, overnight Friday, Saturday. So uh, you know, I think journalists started getting the message on on Saturday morning about that uh, that bid going in, um, and it is you know I sort of touched on it a little bit there again and it's interesting that Andy managed to get you know Thomas Iliakis on the phone I think he is accessible which is which is good you know you're able to put these questions to him directly with Ratcliffe you can't really do that you know there's there's sort of you know, he's got people that speak on his behalf um, but also he does do interviews you know he's done the Wall Street Journal for example recently you saw him at Old Trafford there direct Sheikh Yassim hasn't been that way uh, so far so I'm wondering at what point will he show himself, will he be able to be interviewed? Because that was something that we criticised the Glazers for, you know, not not communicating. And so, you know, I, I think before we kind of, um, before anyone sort of says, right, he's our guy, let's actually hear more from him directly because I do think that's an important uh, factor to this all. Yeah, and actually across the city, at Manchester City, Sheikh Mansour has been conspicuous in his absence over the years and his involvement you know publicly with with the club so you know I know it's a different nation state and there may be sort of uh, sort of distinct differences between the two but it but it is a, an area of concern that certainly from what we've seen so far right let's actually get to your questions like I said a moment ago uh, first one's from Imran Khan N- not that one I don't think um which injured players should be back after the international break Carl, I think we can make this about a wider point, really, about Reds on international duty. What stuck out to you over the last week or so? I, I will admit I did a sort of Tim Henman-style clenched fist celebration when I saw Christian Eriksen's Instagram story. He did a sort of from this ankle boot to this in his civilian trainers to this, him on football boots, which was quite good creatively. Uh, Eric Ten Hag spoken about how he should be back in April. so We're nearly in April. We're nearly in April. We could have Christian Eriksen back for. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pinpoint any game in particular, but he's looking. He's looking all right. I think he also made a joke about how Carrington's really quiet at the moment, and there's barely anyone there because international break is whatever. Uh, this morning, we've just had a little report from former friend of the podcast, shall we say, Ralph Regnick, about the uh, injury status of uh, Marcel Sabitzer. Sabitzer apparently took up a knock in Austria's most recent game where he, he, he wore the number nine and he basically played as a striker. Um, but he should be fine. Yeah, I'm pulling a face, I'm touching wood, blah, blah, blah. So he, he should be right in terms of injury status there. From what we know, everyone, everyone is getting closer to being fully fit again. Uh, I could not tell you where Anthony Martial is. No, 
No, that will be an interesting development, won't it, um, once we get to speak to Eric Ten Hag again. Um, another thing, Andy, again, it's a point that we touched upon a little bit um, recently on the podcast, but Manchester United are riling people again in, in various ways. It shows that the club are beginning to be a threat again. Um, Marcus Rashford taking a holiday seems to be the latest issue. Uh, and presumably people think that he's not allowed to do that because he's injured and cannot play for his nation. Well, if he's injured, then I had no issue whatsoever with him going to New York and having a bit of time off. I know he, he banged into American culture. He was with his partner and great, good for him because he's had a very intense season. This was the first break uh, since the World Cup. But of course, he was at the World Cup as well. So... I've got no problem with him doing that. And that, if that annoys a lot of people who are not Manchester United fans, then so what? Exactly. Right, let's move it on to the next question. There's a question here on youth players. I don't know which one of you wants to take this, but this is Anton Hunter. Would love to hear more about youth players coming through, ones to keep an eye out for. But also, do you guys think there's enough of a chance for them to develop under Eric Ten Hag, considering the lack of rotation, I guess? Who wants to take it? I will take that for a bit and then Laurie will correct me because yeah um let's I, see well uh, so in terms of Eric Tanaki when he came over from Ajax a number of the Dutch journalists I was speaking to said he will eventually take control of of the reserve team the other 23s and whatnot he's very interested in play 17 plus in your squad uh, and he very much wants them to play Ten Hag football eventually something that surprised me is how quickly he's taken assistance in the reserve team on 23s he's not in charge but I think he's he's giving some feedback there um, and the way he has not particularly given too many minutes to Kobe Mainu and not particularly given too many minutes to Zidane Iqbal is now giving me the impression he might be doing a bit of the Pochettinos in that he would prefer his young players to stay at the training ground where they can pick up all the habits he wants rather than go out on loan to a club in League One uh, and then possibly learn quote-unquote bad habits. Uh, Pochettino did this especially with Carl Walker-Peters who played basically no football until Poch got sacked and then he had to go over to Southampton and then lo and behold he actually turned up to be a really good football player. Um, and we know uh, Pep Guardiola also similarly didn't send Phil Foden out online for ages and everyone, oh, that's a bit weird. He should be playing football by now. Uh, and again, this is this is a gut feeling uh, rather than something I will go over and you know I will go on and chase from agents at the moment, but I think Ten Hag this season, at the very least, would prefer some of his young players to stay in house rather than go off okay. somewhere else. It's interesting that you mentioned Zidane Iqbal because Sunil had a question about that as well, referencing him and about the fact that he had quite a big impact in pre-season, certainly played a lot of minutes and hasn't been anywhere to be seen around the first team in terms of getting minutes. Um, also, Anthony Alanga speaking during this international break. Omar Garrick's written up the quotes on The Athletic as well. He seems unhappy at his lack of playing time. Um, Laurie, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, I mean, just touch on Alanga there because you mentioned him last. I think uh, he will be someone that United should look at in the summer and he will want to look at this as well you know is it better to say okay you've had a, a great run um, to, to this point there's a value there we, we touched on FFP is he someone that United look at actually selling because getting the right moment to sell these youth players has been something that they haven't done 
with great um, success, I don't think, in, in recent years. But I think maybe, you know, the, the the example with James Garner last summer was was one where on reflection, okay, that, that looks that looks fine, you know, the amount of money that they got for him uh, and, and what's gone on since. To touch on Carl's point, Eric Tenag definitely is um, interested and involved in the uh, the youth setup. It's not necessarily the case. He, he won't be picking the players, won't be picking the teams, but he does have conversations about, okay, it'd be useful if they're with me this week for first team training, that kind of stuff. I mean, in fairness, you know, that happened under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well. Um, it's not sort of reinventing the wheel, don't think, but it is good to see a manager that is invested in that way. Uh, and, and certainly, Kobe Maino is one that I think he's seen throughout the, the season and, and, and really likes the look of, but at the same time, he can't be giving players minutes just for the sake of it. You know, he's had a good, you know, uh, introduction to first team, for, given the age that he is, he's still really young. And I think, you know, he's someone that I think Tanag would, would quite like to see how that could develop. Zidane Iqbal did really well on pre-season tour. And I think a lot of people thought, OK, maybe he'll get more of a run. But again, I just think it's a different environment than going into the first team and playing week after week. And I think, you know, as Carl said, that Tanag in those instances would actually quite like to have these players around the place so that he can kind of get his methods into them. United have also got quite a lot of youngsters out on loan um, on the on the flip side of that. So you've got like Charlie McNeil scoring a goal for Newport County in, in League Two. Um, Hannibal Mesbury has had like a kind of bit of an interesting time on loan at Birmingham. I mean, that has been a bit of a mess of a club this season um, and he's got good minutes. I mean, that's certainly a learning curve for him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when he comes back. Um, I really like the look of Ethan Laird and, and Alvaro Fernandez. We, we spoke about them before, two full backs on either flank. Um, and I mean, they've both got, I mean, certainly Alvaro Fernandez, you know, he's got Luke Shaw ahead of him. He's got Taro Malassia ahead of him in terms of left back. But he's a he's a smart kid, and I've really liked the look of him whenever I've seen him. Ethan Laird's had some injury problems in the past, but you know that right back slot. I know that Diogo Dalot's had a, had a good season, Aaron Wambasaka as well. But you kind of wonder if if that could be somewhere that United could bring through the youth. So yeah, there's there's, there's quite a few players, but no one I would say that is yeah absolutely bang on to be in the first team next season. I think Ethan was doing well until uh, that injury. And if you're playing championship football, you're playing at a very good level. Uh, with a lot of them, they just need minutes. Um, Zidane Iqbal, I remember seeing his parents on the warm weather training camp where he did get some minutes in December against uh, Cadiz and against Real Betis. And he's a very talented player. As you said, he did very well pre-season with Charlie Savage. He had to go out on loan to be playing for a struggling Boris Green side. I think that does players like that a lot of good. This is the reality. It's not playing in front of 70,000 Melbourne pre-season. It's fighting relegation in the third tier against hardened pros who really need their win bonus. I remember years ago speaking to Tom Cleverley, the culture shock of going from Manchester United to third tier, yes, third tier, Leicester City, and coming up against 34-year-olds who just had no time for him, didn't want to help him, and he really benefited from that as a player. So I think United youth system, um, I think the, the FA Youth Cup win last year, I wouldn't say it masked, but some players were maybe over-promoted to get a trophy in last year. been plenty of encouraging signs this season, but it's very difficult to get a handle on it when so many players are put out on loan, and that's probably the best place for them. What's the alternative? Well, it goes back to that multi-club thing that we talked about in the last podcast. Do Manchester United get a secondary club where you can put all of those players and you know play them in the Portuguese first division or whatever? Right, 
Right, we've just got time then for a few more questions. Um, this first one from Mark Kenny touched on a little bit what we were talking about before the break in terms of an update of the lads on loan. But actually, the second part of the question, I think, is definitely uh, an interesting debating point for us. He's mentioned Eric Bailly, Alex Tellez, Dean Henderson, um, and what we think their future will be because he was sort of suggesting that selling players like that may well have a big impact on Manchester United's summer transfer business. Who wants to take that? Well, I should have a piece that includes um, a bit of an update on Dean Henderson uh, coming later this week. So, uh, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that on The Athletic. Um, and, yeah, certainly that's what United are looking at. They accept that they've not been great at selling players, not not been great at extracting value from the market and, and getting those moments of leverage where another club wants to pay maybe over the odds for your player because of you know the, the, the credibility that the, that you've got as an organisation and, and the, the standards that they've reached for playing for you or, or elsewhere. I think with Eric Bailly and Alex Telles, it's it's going to be difficult to get you know a great deal of money because you know you've, you've seen sort of season after season, particularly Bailly really, that he hasn't made that breakthrough at United. Uh, to least I think he's had a, a sort of decent loan at Sevilla, but um, you know they're obviously on big money as well. Carl's uh, Wagner's thing is not a decent loan at Sevilla. I mean, it's been a very bad Aliga season for them, and, and the one of the short reasons as to why they're not doing so well is. Uh, Alex Delis in the games he has played ha- has not been pulling up any trees, shall we say. Presumably he can play against us then in the next round. He has been allowed to play against Manchester excellent. United. I, I checked. Interesting. Uh, and the fact you've said excellent uh, reveals what you think of Alex Delis' oh, no, defensive capabilities. No, I, I don't mean it like that. I, I think it'd be fascinating. I've, I'm really intrigued by the whole dynamic of players playing against their parent clubs. Uh, I know Joao Cancelo is going to do that in the Champions League as well. And there was, there's been arguments this season, Dean Henderson, you know, playing yeah. against United, etc. Diogo Dallo was decent-ish when United played AC Milan in the Europa League on the on United's way to the final. Um, I'm not going to say the thing I want to say about United attackers running at Alex Telles, but, you know, the listener can make their own joke there. Dallo had a very productive time at Milan but he also had Paolo Maldini taking him to one side saying maybe you should do this you know played in your position might um, help that it, might it yeah and and he felt he definitely improved as a player and he was playing in a good team the problem for Alex Talese is when he went to Sevilla they were like four favorites for La Liga this season and they've had an awful season and we can talk about Sevilla in more depth ahead of our Manchester United's games against them. I've been speaking to several people around the club in recent days, but Sevilla have been 16th and 17th. This is an absolute disaster for Sevilla. They've changed the manager. Betis have been far more successful, which is not normal in the in the city of um, Betis. So if he, if he does play, well, I, Sevilla playing Manchester United is nothing like Sevilla playing Manchester United in 2018 and 2020. It was the Europa League, wasn't it, where they won behind um, closed doors. They've got too many players who are too similar and they should have acted more decisively last summer and that is from the horse's mouth. We've got like three players that all want to play on the left hand. No, no, not doing this. <laughs> Sorry, Laurie, you were talking about by. And other fringe players. You correctly right? correct me, Carl. So I will hold my hands up and say I've, I've obviously not been studying Sevilla to the lengths of giving a full appraisal of Alex Talese. Um I suppose I'm trying to do United's work for them there, aren't I? You might need to ahead of the next round of the <laughs> Europa League. Yeah. Polish him up and say, yeah, he's had a decent you know, loan spell. Give, give United a bit of money. But okay, there we go. So they've got a hard For you, my friend. Task. For you, my friend. 
20 million. You can have him <laughs> yeah. for 20 million. Eric Bailly as well, he's been step perfect at Marseille. Absolutely, yeah. So two fantastic really uh, options for people if they want a left back and a centre back. <laughs> Anything to add? No, I think I think Laurie's spot on in terms of United not being great and moving on players. I mean, as we're talking, their fourth highest player sale uh, is Dan James. Dan James is is one of I think you know he's one of a handful of times where United have made a profit on a player sale as well, um, and you know as Laurie said, you know, United need to be really good at, at maximising opportunity to move on players. I know for a fact um, Southampton tried bringing in Brandon Williams on loan two seasons ago, uh, and their, you know their eyebrows flew off their heads when they found out Brandon Williams' wages and realised that such a deal was completely untenable. Uh, and you know, Williams is a player who probably won't be the starting left back or right back in Manchester United, but looks like he could do a job in the bottom half of the Premier League, if not the Championship. How someone extricates him without United taking a massive loss is, I mean, I don't know how you do that. You need to have one of the cleverest accountants out there. Um, and that's something United need to get better at. How do you make sure a player like Brandon Williams, okay, he might not be Manchester United quality, but he's definitely professional football level quality. How do you move him on? How How is a player like Axel Tuenzebi going to move on? There was a point in time where he was well regarded by Aston Villa players and now he's, he's just about getting a bit of game time for Stoke on loan. Like this is, this is definitely a point that United have to improve on in the next three or four years, if not for squad balance but also for FFP considerations as well well for the welfare of these lads as well Mm -hmm. in fairness you know in terms of making sure that they're still maximising their potential to have the best career possible it's not just about stockpiling players is it to improve your own books it's also about doing the right thing by the lads too Uh, Andy I think United felt they could get around 20 million for Brandon a couple of years ago pointing to the number of times he played in the first team no offers for that amount came forward. He went to Norwich and, and if he could establish himself as a as a fullback in a Premier League team, then 20 million might not be hugely wide of the mark. But as Carl said, wages and Manchester United negotiating wages at the time which suits the player rather than at the time which suits the football club has been an issue. Interesting you mentioned Eric Bailly. I just looked at his stats at Marseille this season and there's just big red blocks where he's missed matches. Dead leg, four matches. Again. Red card suspension, yep. five matches. What on earth did you do? Did you see, no. did you see what he did? No. Have you not seen that? No. Oh, Andy, Andy, mate. He seven games, ribs. right, seven games. Yeah, you need to ask mm. a... Uh, professional football journalist who covers Manchester United because I've missed it. He broke a man's ribs and then visited him in hospital and then tagged it on Instagram in the most Eric Bailly series of events you will ever see. Um, Good way of putting it. I held up longer than most in regards to Eric Bailly being a Manchester United defender, but that tackle was, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. Let people go and go and look it up now then. Um, Let's talk transfers. We've not done this for a while. Have we? Remember that? That's another T word, isn't it? Do you remember the Sancho section? Yeah. <laughs> the Frankie de Jong. Do you remember when we used to play George Harrison? Yeah. Um, right. Andrew Taylor. Is it more likely United sign Osherman or Kane this summer or neither? Oof. Now that is a way to start a transfer section. I, I've just seen three men collectively look up at the screen and shrug their shoulders. It's almost impossible to answer. Um, there's been a lot actually said about Evan Ferguson as well, who... 
He's obviously just beginning to sort of make his impact in international football this week, but has also looked pretty impressive at Brighton. Um, Goncalo Ramos from Benfica as well has been mentioned. I mean, I think the thing, Laurie, we can safely say is that Manchester United are after a striker. Which one it is, is hard to say at this point, I guess. They're after a striker and, you know, so much of this depends on finances um you know e- even with a takeover even if a full buyout happens and it's you know the Qataris and Sheikh Yassim who've got you know billions in the bank I still think FFP comes into it because you look at how uh, Newcastle are going about it with you know, PIF Saudi Arabia behind them and okay yeah they've spent a good amount of money on Alexander Isak but it's not it's not blowing you know teams out of the water is it? it's not taking it to a whole new level um and so I do think that'll be something that United have to you know contend with in the summer um Clearly, they need a new centre forward. You know, Eric Tenag knows this. Valt Vegorst even knows this. I think I saw something this week uh, where he was saying, "Yeah, this is beyond what I expected." When Eric Tenag first made the call, and he said, "You know, he kind of explained the situation to me." And I thought, "Oh, this this could be good." You know, a chance to kind of have a bit of a, a role at United, and he started what is it, eighteen, nineteen games in a row now. Nineteen, nineteen now. Nineteen. Um, yeah. So it's obviously an area that United needs to address. Two goals. I, I don't know what's the likeliest. Um, outcome because in each case there's a, a a sort of a reason as to why you go okay yeah that could happen and then equally valid reason as to why you say no so Harry Kane got a year left of his contract and so therefore you think okay that's a good opportunity to sign someone like that but when you've got Daniel Levy and Tottenham on the other side they're not going to accept uh, well he's not going to accept you don't think less than a, a, a big sum of money and I'm, I'm told I know 100 million has been banded around but I'm told that he hasn't actually set a price you know there's, there's not a there's not an amount of money that um, Tottenham are saying to anybody this is what we want for Harry Kane so that then leads you into the territory of the Frankie de Jong situation that United had last summer to a different degree because obviously it was the fact that they managed to agree a, a fee with Barcelona but then um, get you know the, the player didn't really want to come, so they had a whole saga of, of t- waiting for that one. Flip, flip it with Harry Kane. You know, I'm sure that Harry Kane would be very interested in hearing what Manchester United have to say. But can they agree uh, a fee with Tottenham? You know, you could go Victor Osimhen, Goncalo Ramos, Gonzalo Ramos. Sorry, someone corrected me. Uh, apologies for getting his name uh, mispronounced. I just got it wrong as well. Then oh, there we yeah. go. Oh, it was someone on yeah. Twitter, and I haven't sorry, done checked it. So, I'm, I'm, but I, I presume it's Gonzalo. No. <laughs> Might be completely wrong. Yeah, I have to apologise again for getting it right <laughs> and then correcting yeah. it. Uh, we need Harry Kane to go for a game of golf again with Gary Neville, don't we? Really, just to sort of understand <laughs> exactly what's going on there. Manchester United are more attractive than a year ago. I think people can see clear signs of a project. Nobody knows how much money United will have to spend in the summer because we don't know who's going to be owning Manchester United. Financial fair play is an absolute consideration. The priority is a number nine. Would you have kept Edinson Cavani? I know this is said with the benefit of hindsight and I totally get why he left because last season was a stinker, but he scored seven times for Valencia this season. There's just some of them chances where I've seen uh, Valt Vegos try but miss, where I think Cavani would have buried that. But maybe that's just, just wishful thinking. Wouldn't we just be all debating his, his fitness record yeah, again? he's been and better this year. Everything like that. He's not been perfect, but he's been better this year. Would he have we been able know. to start 19 straight games like Valt Vegos? No, that's I know true. That maybe he's not. He know. would have after the World Cup. Yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're getting at, Carl. I think it's a fair point, Ian. You know, to whatever you say about Vegos, to start 19 games in succession, 
is not easy and he's done it and he's not been prolific and we all wish that he would have scored more goals. It hasn't been good enough. It doesn't look like he'll have a future at the club, but just to do that is not easy. Something I found interesting in that interview he did was he said, at this level, you can never be 100% and fitness often has to do with your mental capacity. Um, so we're talking, you know, why, why would you play? You know, it's incredible he's played 19. He's, he's already admitting he is, to some level, knackered. And we lord Bruno Fernandes playing this, but we are now, we're in the, the woods now. A lot of these Man United players are coming into these games quite tired, not 100%, you know, the difference between match fit and match sharp. They're probably not much sharp anymore because you're playing every single three games. The time in between to, to really scout and train up on your opposition is, is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So now you are getting the you know, the bit between your ears as to what makes you good or not. And Vekos, to his credit, knows that he's onto a good thing and knows that he'll probably push himself past the area he thought he, he's good at to keep playing for Manchester United because he's playing at a club far and beyond what he, his dreams. So that's good. But yeah, I absolutely think... It's probably time to to spend triple figures on a Manchester United striker in the summer. I got a thought experiment for you, gentlemen. Um, so, you, Ian, you mentioned Ferguson, Ramos, Osherman, Kane. Uh, which striker do you think Alex Ferguson would have went to buy? Kane, <laughs> I think Ferguson or Kane. Yeah, <laughs> Laurie, you're saying Kane, Andy, because it's like the Van Persie effect. Go get him; he yeah, can yeah, fit straight yeah. in. World class striker, come in, win us the league. Yeah. Yeah, I do, obviously I, I I would I would say Kane, and that's probably where my gut is anyway. But I do like the look of Ramos just because he, he he keeps scoring for Benfica, and you can kind of you could probably do business with them. Um, Osimhen, I've I've seen a bit of him. I think he looks really sharp. Is his is his game about instinct, and would he work in a ten arc system? That's the kind of question I've got, and there's a bit more to that as well that maybe we can get onto if it sort of turns out that that he might be someone that they're looking at properly. Um, but yeah, I would probably say Kane just because you know for a fact that he's going to come into Manchester United's team and play football that suits that can score goals in the Premier League. Link like Tenag wants, he drops deep. I mean, like that goal he scored against Ukraine. He's there, sort of creating it in midfield, pinging it out to the wing, and then getting in the box and getting on the end of it to, to tap it in. You're just thinking, wow, okay, that's a, imagine him playing for Manchester United. I know he's thirty. Yeah. I know it will cost a lot of money, but the way and I know that he's had, you know, these these accusations about his ankle, but actually he's not had an ankle injury for for a long time, and I think he looks after himself the right way. So you sort of think, actually, could he could he play on to, you know, the kind of Teddy Sheringham, another player that went from Spurs to Manchester United age bracket if he wants to win a trophy you've got to leave Tottenham haven't you because they're not going to win anything so he's got to weigh it up he's financially set for life but Tottenham do not win and will not win trophies Manchester United as we've shown this season won a trophy I'll have a video out on TIFO about Victor Osherman if if listeners want to know more about him um, but I, I've spoken before in this podcast about how I like to imagine which players Fergie would have bought uh, and I put this to Twitter a while ago and everyone said Harry Kane number one but I am now getting to the point where you can imagine the phone call Ferguson would have had to Brighton about Evan, yeah. right? You can imagine that phone call now. Kane, Kane's <laughs> Ferguson on tilt towards the end of his end of his time in charge of Manchester United, just to get him over the line in another title race like Van Persie. Whereas Evan Ferguson feels like they're signing for the next ten the, years. The, way, player, the Wayne Rooney possibly. signing? Are we allowed to go that far? <laughs> Almost. <Yeah. laughs> Almost. That is a stretch considering how good Rooney was at that age. But yeah, I don't it's, hate it's it. Interesting. I don't hate it. Yeah. I think Barcelona will have to sell players again this summer. 
so read into that as what you want. Oshiman, I've seen him a few times on television. Uh, I do some work with um, Don Hutchinson, the former Premier League player. He's been raving about him for three years, absolutely raving about him. Well, of course, Manchester United's transfer policy this summer will also depend on the decision that the club makes about the future of Mason Greenwood. If you want to know more about the different things that might inform that decision, head to The Athletic, where Laurie has taken an in-depth look at the players' path through the age group structure into first-team football, the England squad, and, of course, the problems is encountered since. Laurie, it's been a while coming, this piece, hasn't it? But I guess an important one to give background about the entire situation with this particular player. Yeah, that's exactly it. Thanks, Ian. Long time in the making, speaking to several people, trying to find out exactly what has gone on with Mason Greenwood at Manchester United to, to bring us to this point. Because they are you know, investigating the situation and there's that possibility that they will decide, let's see what a reintroduction looks like. So I think part of the factor in that is the challenges that he presented whilst he was a player before he was arrested. So that's why we felt it was important to do the piece and there was a relevance to it right now um, to kind of give people a bit more information about the kind of things that United are debating. So, you know, for example, you know, during lockdown, um, he wasn't the only player that struggled with the restrictions, but he was one of the players that, that did. And police even visited Carrington to talk to Manchester United about that. They were of a view that, you know, could United do more to uh, have a little bit more control over him? And so it raises questions about United's interaction with him and, and how they sort of deal with young players coming through, especially really talented players. Were there moments where they could have done things differently? I think they'll certainly be asking themselves those questions. Um, and so, yeah, that's the idea of the piece, to kind of give people a fuller impression of Mason Greenwood as a player and certainly someone that United tried to you know bring through the age groups and, and had sort of different issues at different points. But yeah, people can go and read on it uh, if they'd like to. But again, comments are turned off to respond uh, the complainant's right to anonymity um, in the case. Okay, important point to make that certainly. If you want to read that piece, and of course all our writing on Manchester United, you can subscribe to The Athletic now and pay just £1.99 a month for a year when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But for the minute, Andy, Laurie and Carl, thank you so much for being with us on Talk of the Devils. Thank you for listening at home as well. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.